Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another Tech to You Tuesday. I have got some fun topics to talk about today, and I wanted to start out just by saying that we have uh, got, I got some really, really good feedback from you guys last week about um, audio. There was uh, a really quick swap out to new hardware and a pretty quick configuration right before the show last week. And um, I had some ideas on, on things I could do to improve it. So one of the things I'd really love, if you guys don't mind, uh, email uh, rad at radradio.com. Uh, let me know how things sound through the show today. Um, I, obviously, I can do a lot of testing ahead of time, but I like hearing it from you guys. Everybody has different speakers and um, different, you know, you listen in your car, listen on your headphones. Uh, so if you can, please, I, I, I love hearing that feedback. It really kind of helps guide what um, uh, compressors I put in the audio and, and, and things to sort of make it sound better. So I put a lot of work into that last week and did some internal testing, but I really love uh, your guys' feedback. And uh, joining me again this week, I've got Ryan Beck, our um, remote support team manager. Thanks for being here again. Appreciate it. Um, and I've got some good emails that we're gonna we're gonna jump into today first. One of the things um, I wanted to do is these are gonna be kind of some recaps um, from things we've talked about in prior weeks. And I have a feeling this is gonna be something that we do somewhat often. I'll try not to be too repetitive about things, but if anything, I really want to highlight um, the repetition in some of these scams and. It, it's crazy the frequency of these things. And one of the things that blows me away is people will email in, whether it's to me directly, uh, which you can send me emails directly to ian at techdu.com, but I'm monitoring Rad's uh, account and then they forward me anything during, you know, after hours, or if you send them an email on a Thursday or a weekend or whatever, they'll forward that over to me too. Um, so I get these repetitive emails though about like, Hey, there's this scam that I, I was dealing with and, or a potential scam I think I was dealing with. Can you tell me if this was actually a scam? And it's like the exact same thing I've talked about before. And it really just, it highlights how many people don't know that there's these repetitive, easy to identify scams. Yep. So anyway, I'm not going to drag that on too long, but I'll do my best not to be repetitive in some of these, but I would love it if you guys, not even necessarily just touting the show or tech to you or anything, just tell your family about these things. Tell your friends about them. I'll, I'll, I'll try to even maybe make some small clips for social media so you can share them because it's, it's really, it's one of those things that, um, you can, you can save so many people money <laughs> um, and, and heartache and problems if, if they know about these scams. So uh, I got this email. This came in on Sunday. Uh, Hi, Ian. Here's a new one I ran across last night. My dog was missing, and my wife posted uh, on Facebook with her phone number. So she, you know, so when my dog is missing, here's a picture. Here's my phone number. Let me know. She got a text from a 443 area code that said uh, they found our dog. Now, I don't know what 443 is. That could be you know, Reno for all I know, it maybe I'm assuming maybe it's out of area. Um, but they, they said that they found the dog. She texted back and asked where they could pick the dog up. The person didn't respond. So she called them and they didn't answer. Uh, then they texted back and they said that they have our dog and they want to make sure that we are the owners. And they said that they sent a code for them to verify that we're the owners. So let me recap that real quick. Huh. You sent me a text saying you found my dog and you want me to s tell you about a code I'm going to get to my phone to verify that I'm the actual owner. From the same number they reached out to you on in the beginning. R right. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. All right. Fine. 
doesn't make any sense, but let's just let's just roll with it. So the rest of the email, I told them to f off and that they're. Uh, um, I don't know how much I want to swear too much on this. Like I, I think I can. Like I really want to, but I, I have a feeling. I mean, I, I, we, and, and just to be clear, Rob and I have not talked about this yet, but I have a feeling some tech to you content is going to end up on his new radio station. So I'm going to be a little careful. I think that one per hour is fair. One per hour. But save it for when you really want it. Yeah. Like I'll really punch it in. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. I'll wait. And then, and then Kyle can bleep it out later. Yeah. I'll just give him that. Hey, sorry, Kyle. I don't know when it was. It was somewhere in that hour long show. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I just can't remember. Good luck. I, it's, you'll find it. I'm if sure. You, if you don't find a good spot, just scream it at the end. <laughs> like right as at soon the as outro. the camera's cut off. Just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> um, so they said, uh, they said some insults <laughs> and then they said, have you heard of scammers, uh, from Facebook posts? I get scam. I get scam messages whenever I, I post something for sale. Uh, this is a new one for me. So, um, this is one we've talked about. Uh, basically the concept here is that if a person has a phone number and you know that they have this phone number and you want to, um, utilize that person's phone number for your own malicious uh, reasonings, which there's many of, then one of the best ways to do that is to to send a text message to that number. And that kind of verifies that you own that phone, right? So what this person experienced was they put their phone number out on the internet. A scammer wanted to basically, I'll make it very short, take control of their phone in, in a certain way. It's not like they can take control of their calls and stuff like that, but they're gaining access to their to their their phone line in a way. Honestly, I think it was more an attempt to steal their Facebook account. Well, if they, if they would have agreed to that, they probably would have taken that person's email address, tried to do a password mm. reset or mm. use that info, which would have sent them a code they're now expecting from these scammers. Yeah. And then they enter that code when they get it. And now you have access to the that's account. That's a good one too. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one too. So um, the, the long story short here is if anybody ever texts you a code, a person, not a service, not your bank. You know, not your bank, not not your um, email login. Those are text you codes that are valid, legitimate, and those are fine to type the code into the website. You're expecting to, to get enter them, yeah. But they all come with a message that says, "Do not give this code to anybody." When you get a text message that says, "Don't give this code to anybody," code to anybody. Don't give the code to anybody. There's no asterisk there. There's no hidden except the guy no. who said you're going to get a code. Right. Yeah. Don't I want to make sure you're a real person. Right. Yeah. The, if, 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 they, if somebody sends, oh, I, just, I just need to verify that you're real. So I'm going to send you this code. And then the code comes from a completely different number. And you, yeah. And 99% and of the time, it's going to say, don't give this code to anyone. So uh, don't get scammed. Don't give codes to people that or text to your phone. Um, and and, and to, to the, the email writer, Josh, Thanks for sending it in. That is a really common one. And uh, I highly recommend that if, if you ever deal with somebody like this, that you just stop con conversing with them. That's the best thing you can do is just not continue to drag it along. If you have the ability to, depending on the phone that you have, even blocking their number is a good step just so you don't have to deal with the same person potentially again in the future uh, for future scams. So um, really, really common one. Uh, looks like I already got... A few emails here. Thank you, guys. Uh, audio sounds good. Um, sounds good on the headphones. Sounds good so far. Thank you, guys, very much. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, Richard emailed in and said, Hi, Ian. I think I got a scam, but I don't know how it could be done. An old friend reached out on Facebook Messenger asking me to Venmo him $100. Okay. Well, that's that's a... 
that's a, a the first sign is you said old friend i'm assuming this is somebody that you probably haven't talked to in a while um so, and then somebody asking for a hundred dollars even if this was legitimate like you know <laughs> that's kind of concerning strange right strange uh, i figured it was a scam so i played along and strung him along for an hour after it was after i was over and the person uh, wouldn't stop bugging me i blocked them on messenger about 10 minutes later they sent me a text message saying it wasn't a scam though i though it probably was at that point i blocked their number too but it just hit me as so strange. I'm almost positive this friend was not the one asking for a small amount of money and being extremely pushy. How would a scammer have my number, my friends through Facebook Messenger? Yeah, okay, so um, there's a few ways people can get your number. Um, Richard, uh, you, you know, I, I see your last name here in this email, and I, it probably wouldn't be incredibly hard for me to find your phone number just by your first and last name. But even better, if I have your Facebook account information and I'm your friend on Facebook, I probably know what city you live in. There's I, also usually phone number verification on those sites and ways to get that info. Right. There's that. Um, I know what I know. Not only what city you live in, I know um, I know your age or at least about your age, probably. So, I mean, a lot of very easy public resources can let me get your number. Um, and if they felt like, if they felt like they really had you, you know, like they, they had you on the hook and you were probably about to, to pay them, then it would be worth their time to invest in, you know, trying to find your phone number. So that, that's probably how they did it. Um, and that's a, another really common one is that people will manipulate, oh God, especially the elderly, um, people who have, that are new to social media and the internet and technology and they, they get the message from their grandson. The emotional angle. Yeah. The, the fake niece or nephew message yeah. saying, you know, I'm, I'm in the hospital or I have this or that bill can you wire me this amount of money? Right. You know, if there's, if there's ever any doubt, really the easiest thing to do, especially if you have that person's actual contact information is just call them and say, Hey, right. Did you send me this message? Right. And there are AI tools now to fool you into talk, thinking that you're talking to somebody whose voice has been, uh, um, copied, but that it's, it's not that it's hard to do that. The thing that's hard is it's incredibly difficult to right now with current technology. It's incredibly difficult to have a, a um, conversation that sounds real or organic. Well, that and that's that's an extremely targeted kind of right. attack. Yeah, most, I mean, most people aren't going to get something like that. They're going to get the right. generalized. I can send this to ten thousand people exactly. from a list that I purchased. And there's plenty of people on there that are gullible enough that even if I only get one percent, I can make you know a few yeah. thousand dollars a day. Right. So, yeah, um, be wary for that kind of stuff. Be wary of that kind of stuff. Um, Got another email here. Uh, thank you for answering my question last week about memory. Um, yes, I am too. Oh, oh, this is the guy we talked about last week about um, his computer. He yeah. he. Uh, so he had a bunch of files that he moved off of his computer to another place, or she. Sorry, I'm not sure. Um, and says yes, I'm sure to empty the trash after dumping to an external drive. I realized isn't. I realized it isn't helping because the warning I get is that my startup disk is full. I'm not sure how to remedy that. I would, so I would really recommend that you, you should call us. Um, this is the kind of thing that we do free diagnostics on. So we'll log into the computer remotely. And I mean, assuming you're comfortable with that kind of thing, um, we could always have somebody come out to you too. But um, I would recommend that you call us and have a technician log in and look because it does, it sounds like something's not quite right. If you have moved things from the drive, you've deleted them from the drive and you've emptied your recycle bin and it's still showing that it's full. 
there could be issues there. It could, there could even be a, like a drive problem. There could be a problem with reading the drive. Could be a problem with a the program. There could be right. an infection, something building up temporary data and files yeah. as soon as you're moving something off of it. That's common too. Yeah, we see like self-replicating viruses fill the drive up really fast sometimes. Um, yeah, I'd recommend calling in, uh, have a remote tech look at it. We, again, it's totally free. We'll assess it for you and decide if you want us to fix it. And if anything, we'll identify where it's coming from for you. Um, so I want get, to get into... Uh, some of the things that we want to talk about this week, some, some news. Um, uh, one of the things that was a news item that um, we that, that came up in this last week is something that we actually talked about last week, which was a Google um, phone. Somebody was, somebody was emailing us and saying they were concerned about having a virus on their phone. And we kind of talked about um, if you sideload apps on a, on an Android device. And if you know what sideloading apps is, you probably already kind of know what the, what the risk is with that process. Um, but if you don't know what sideloading apps is, basically what that means is you're taking, uh, an application from a website and putting it on your phone rather than doing it from the Instead Google, going through the store, yeah. Google play store. Yeah. Um, but Google just recently announced that they're going to be scanning those, uh, sideloaded applications, which is great. Um, it, I would say that it doesn't necessarily make them safe. No, it's safer, safer. Yeah, right. Um, what they're looking for, what Google's looking for is malicious content in the in the app. And without getting overly technical, there's a lot of parts of an application where the code is stored in the application itself. But depending on how the app works, a lot of that code might be stored on the Internet. And Google can't scan that code because you have to be using the app to not only it or have it yeah, not only see that, but on websites, um, like for example, what our development team makes, uh, custom software, you can't see our code. It's locked behind a box, and it doesn't matter how much poking and prodding you do. We'd have to have like a server server vulnerability for you to see our code. So that said, it doesn't mean that they're safe, but th this is a big step in the right direction for Google. Um, you know, Apple has their walled garden where you can only get applications from the App Store, and they do a pretty um, thorough review process of those applications, not just for functionality, but also looking for things that are malicious or bypass their, their security. Uh, whereas, whereas, um, Android is, is quite a bit different. Um, they don't, they don't quite scan every application the same way. Um, there's, there's a lot of applications that are on their store and they don't necessarily look for functionality, but they do look for blatantly obvious, um, malicious content. And so anyway, if you are sideloading applications, if you are putting apps on your phone from websites, uh, keeping your device updated in the next couple of weeks, you're going to have the ability to actually scan those applications. And what will happen is when you do it, Google calls it real-time scanning, and um, on the it's, they say real-time scanning at the code level to combat novel malicious apps, and there are a lot a lot of those. Um, but what what'll happen is you'll see a, a a scanning interface on the screen. So when it's actually scanning an application, if if all of a sudden you've done an app, app update on your phone, and you see the word scanning show up in the middle when you're doing updates. That's not a bad thing. That means that your phone is actually just scanning for malicious software um, or scanning for malicious, you know, applications or plugins on applications or whatever. So um, some good news there. Uh, yeah, it's a shame they don't treat it like apples and just have everything straight through the Play, Play Store, get rid of sideloading altogether. Yeah, and I mean, I get it. Like, that would really be a, a kick in, in the groin to the... Uh, to the tech community, you know, you like we, this is the whole thing, the Apple, I mean, I would say that from our perspective, a big part of the Apple versus Android argument is the customization that you get. Oh yeah. 
Right. And a lot, lot more freedom in it. Right. But it also gives you, you know, e easier confusion. A, a good example of this and, and an app that was perfectly legitimate that I needed to help my dad with, with sideloading was for his drone. They had their software on the Apple store, but it was not on the Play store. But that wasn't listed anywhere. And if you searched it on the Play Store, you would get advertisements of people trying to impersonate the app because they knew it wasn't there on yeah, the Play Store. Right. So they, they use that sort of opening to try to take advantage of people. And then to sideload something, even a legitimate app, you have to disable a couple of features and enable things on Android. It's temporary. You have to go through a bunch of warnings. That's good. Sometimes it's difficult. So it's a lot it's, different than what it was. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a pain in the butt to do. Yeah, I'm glad that it is. I mean, um, it, it's 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 two people's benefit to not sideload applications yeah. on accident, and especially because there's malicious websites that you can go to that can push you to download what looks like a legitimate version of an app. It, it, like, for example, it wouldn't really be that hard to make like a fake chase.com and a fake chase app that kind of forces you to sideload it and trick people into um, putting an app in, which eventually gives them credentials to their bank and. There's a, there's a lot that can be yeah, done. You can, you can copy the HTML right from their web page. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there there, yeah. So, size, so get get your apps from the Play Store. <laughs> it's kind of the, the that's the moral of that story. Uh, Jeff Heatherly, our, our dispatcher, he was on our a couple weeks ago. Our lead dispatcher, he emailed me and he said, often when downloading an APK, which is which is usually the file format of a side loaded application, uh, there will be a message that the file size is too large to scan. Is the scanning going to transcend that? My understanding is yes that one of the limitations in any inherent scanning that you could do even with third-party applications like if you had installed a um, like a McAfee or something like that I think that's what the guy mentioned last week an antivirus on your phone web root whatever um, there were limitations in what they could scan because a lot of the the way that they do scanning is is, is called cloud scanning and so they couldn't upload all of the code of that of that APK file or that application to their servers, it was like a limitation. But Google doesn't have those same limitations now. Uh, that's my understanding of it. I mean, uh, this will be one of those things that we're going to kind of have to confirm 100% when it comes out because they haven't given a ton of details. But yeah, my understanding is that there's no longer restrictions on what it can and can't scan. Um, is a good question. So uh, go into a couple of topics, some, some news. One of the things they talked about on uh, RAD today that I really wanted to get into was this 23andMe data breach. And um, one of the first things is, it was kind of wild to me that, I don't, I don't know for sure that this did or didn't end up on like CNN. Um, oh, I don't know. But it's a really big deal. Yeah. So let's just start with the, with the basics. Um, what do they have? They've got people's names, they've got their genders, and then they have genealogy information. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have genetic information on the individual, but it doesn't mean that they don't have that. Right. Um, some of the data that was gathered um, is scary, but we, we it looks like there's caps on what was stolen. And the thing is that the person, the hacker, his name, he calls himself Gollum. Gollum um, claims that he's got 4 million lines uh, or four, 4 million lines of code, basically, just like all of these records, 4 million records, I think is what he said. Um, what's been confirmed so far is he's got about a million users data. Um, if it's 4 million records, then that would indicate that for every user, he has four records. And that would include things like uh, first and last name, gender, 
uh, some genealogy information and probably contacts, um, pe- people that I think they had birth year in there was one of the things that I would, saw that, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. There was, there was a, it's so that's the thing is this list is still not perfectly yeah. clear. Um, 23andMe is still trying to verify the authenticity of some of the things that he has leaked. Um, so just starting with that, um, data has been breached. Okay. What's, what's the big deal? <laughs> um, what's the big yeah, deal? Yeah. Why does it matter? Um, well, the very first thing that I heard about this, uh, and I kind of stumbled across it and I'm, again, this is one of the things that makes me surprised. It's not like a CNN report. There was a list put on a black hat hacker site of the location names, genders, and age information of about 10,000 Ashkenazi Jews living throughout the U S and Europe. Hmm. And that data came from this breach. Um, that's terrifying. So they're using it to like isolate groups of people, right? You can do so much with that kind of data. You know, um, there was another, there was an example, like you get a company, um, that hires a lot of people, hundreds, thousands of people. And that company is, is run by, you know, a group of, um, anti-Semites. I don't know. And they decide if somebody applies with this name on the list, don't even give them the interview. Yeah. Right. Um, or you run a small, um, private, uh, home loan company and you don't want to lend to Jews or black people or white people or fill in the blank, fill in the blank. Yeah. The data is there now for quite a lot of people to be discriminated against. And it would be really difficult to, uh, without, without directly investigating these businesses, it'd be Prove very, that right. that was being used. Yeah. If somebody within this organization, presumably, is talented enough to find this list, they're probably talented enough to hide it and and the records of of what they're doing. It's it's not all that hard. I mean, if you're investigated by, say, like the FBI, probably find what they're looking for. Um, But it's not all that hard to hide what you're doing and, 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 and conceal the reasons for you declining applicants, you know, especially if you're a large business. But okay, that's that's jobs. Then again, there's there's home loans. There's um, there's hate crimes. There's a lot of of concern with this list being out, and um, there's people just using that information as a jumping off point for doxing others. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, it just it like it made my heart kind of sink that the very first thing that was released was this large list of. Jewish people and where, and where they live. Uh, um, it, it, what was interesting too, is it was specifically Ashkenazi Jews, which is uh, Jews, Jewish people that came from central Europe. I think that's what that is. That's like a descendant from central Europe. And so the point of 23andMe, I guess, you know, that really would have been a good starting point. The 23andMe is a, a service where you can um, send them a DNA test or a DNA sample. And then with that information, they can give you some, some uh, genealogy data, give you an idea of where you, where you came from. Um, you know, you learn that you're uh, 5% African and, and uh, 60% Nordic, whatever it is. Like they give you these breakdowns. But there's this feature, and it's really cool. It's, it's, it's a cool function of their service. It's called DNA Relatives. So if you make a 23andMe account and you send them your DNA sample, and then they give you some information about your, you know, your lineage or your, your heritage, where you came from. Um, you can turn a feature on after they've accomplished all of their work 
called DNA Relatives. And that feature automatically links you to people that you might be related to. I did not know that. Right. So for example, and you can, you can, my understanding is you can specify the lengths at which you want it to connect to other people. So let's say, for example, I have a brother out there I didn't know about, um, and he's used 23andMe. Um, one of the coolest things is it would say, hey, by the way, you know, you've got a brother in Indiana or whatever it is. And, uh, and it would know, obviously, it's DNA. They're going to be able to identify the, the closeness or distance of this relationship that you have with another person who has this, this uh, application. So a lot of family, uh, fam, full families, like they're giving away these 23andMe kits for Christmas. Like, hey, here's your gift card. I think Brandon even said on the show that he's used it. So you get this little gift and then, uh, you know, everybody in the family gets one and then everybody in the family is basically auto linked. So the thing that's kind of scary about that is that that was actually one of the biggest keys that allowed this hacker to gather a lot of, um, a lot of the information that he got. So I want to go into how that happened and, um, and how you can prevent this from happening to you. Because in theory, this, this, you know, this, we'll call it a hack. It's not over, <laughs> you know, no. the method in which this person gathered all of this data wasn't that 23andMe had a vulnerability. Their security team has done arguably everything right. Um, their servers didn't get breached. There wasn't a hacker with talent that got into some code and found a vulnerability and gained access to some server. He did something really, really basic called password stuffing. Password stuffing is just scraping previously hacked passwords from other sources and then stuffing them into sites all over the place yep. until you get a, until you get a, uh, a hit. And chances are if this uh, worked for your 23andMe account, uh, I've got bad news about other accounts out right. there that are, are probably already, uh, they're probably already in them. So I'll give you an example of how this would work. Um, there was an old website years and years ago that I went to um, where we could buy, um, or sorry, not buy, we could, we could have, uh, like unique private conversations about things in, in, uh, like technical questions. And it was like a pay, it was like a pay to access site for technical experts. And the site is defunct. It's not, it's not been around for years. Um, but when they went out of business, the weirdest thing happened. I don't, I still don't fully understand why, why it went this way. Basically, my username, along with everybody else's username, converted from, like, I use the name E and the Geek for a lot of things. It converted to my email address. So, hmm. and then all of their form data, so all of the discussions I'd had on this website, switched to public. So every private conversation I'd had, it's not like direct messaging, but it's like right. form content that you just had to pay for. All of it converted to public. And I think their idea there was like, all right, well, we're not going to be running the site anymore. We may as well just make this public so people can scour the, the site and it's not going to be functional. But my email address was visible. This is my, my personal email address. Yeah. But then it got way worse, which is that because they kind of gave up on running it, they gave up on their security. They allowed code to deprecate, which basically just means it's not supported anymore. And they got hacked really easy. And my password got stolen. And at the time, this is 12... 12, 15 years ago, something like that. I had been using that password for quite a few things. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly like low importance things, like not my bank, yeah. but my password got leaked. Now this can happen 
anywhere. This can happen if you have a Target account, if you have a Walmart account, if you've got a uh, uh, any web any website you can think of. Twenty Three and Me, any one of them are potentially vulnerable to have all of their passwords stolen. This happened just the other day and is so relevant with what I've been trying to tell my wife about a password she uses whenever I'm like, hey, you know, what's what's the password for Hulu? And she tells me it's you know one that she's used in a million places yeah. that I don't. It's think the same you need one. To, you need to change this. Yeah. And finally, a few weeks ago, her HelloFresh account got hacked into. Oh. And they started placing orders on her card and she had to get a new one. I go, hey, what's what was your password for your HelloFresh account? And it oh. was the one I told her she needed to change. And I said, okay, here's a password manager. You need to find every account that uses that password and change it, especially yeah. if it has anything related to me on it. So, uh, right. I know, right? It's security stuff. Um, so... The basic concept is your password gets leaked and you're the type of person who reuses your passwords in multiple places. So you used the same password for your HelloFresh account that you did for your 23andMe account. Now this hacker has access to your 23andMe account. That is the primary way that he gained access to a million accounts. And so obviously a lot of this was automated. It's not expected this person did this a million times. He built a scraping tool once he logged into the account, saved the data. But the thing that made it so much worse was this DNA relatives feature was turned on. So what happened was you could not only see your own results, genealogy data, potentially genetic data, you could also see all of your family members' data. So he didn't have to hack a million accounts. He got into a quarter of that or whatever it was and gathered data on all of these people that was like, you know, we'll call it quote unquote public to the relatives. Bad, bad security practices affect more than just you. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, huge in this point er, 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 with this one in particular. So um, what can you do? Number one, don't use the same password for anything anything at all it really doesn't matter how low priority or low skill it is and that sucks to do because now you know the average person probably has what a minimum of let's just say five to ten online accounts i have 400 in my password manager. yeah i mine is around there too and so i try not to like you know <clears throat> compare myself um but uh, part of the reason that you have 400 isn't because you have 400 accounts that you log into regularly. It's because you created an account for a game company one time six years ago and haven't used it since. And you mm -hmm. got a ton of those. Yeah. And that's same with me. Like that's how, how we kind of as technicians work is that we um, will make accounts and we'll, you know, whatever, throw them away, but just because we're messing around with resources online. So we have tons of accounts. Now that said, I do also have a lot more accounts than the average person that are, that are legitimate. Right. Um, <laughs> But let's just say you have five, 10 accounts. You got your bank, you got your, you're paying your bills, your electric bill, you pay online, stuff like that. Um, those should all be different passwords. It's, it, and it's not, it's not that complicated of a concept to at least understand. It's just frustrating to deal with having that many yeah. passwords to remember. So we have the customers where we go to their house and they have a, uh, oh yeah, I remember that password. And they lift up their keyboard and there's like 10 written down passwords on a piece of paper. That's not the worst thing ever because it can't get stolen unless somebody got in your house, but I highly advise you don't do that. <laughs> I had a coworker at Raging Waters who did that up in the front ticket sales booth. And oh. I, said, I was like, please don't do this. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's bad practice too. Um, so password managers, uh, that is really where I think that um, 
most people need to get really used to it. Thankfully, like Apple, does does Android have anything built in for for password management? I mean, Chrome basically, right? Some of them do. I I use Bitwarden because I can sync it with my computer and right. my phone. So there there's third party tools that work great for it. And that's really what I would recommend. Like Apple, for example, they have their uh, pa- password um, keychain. Yeah, whatever. they have keychain, and they have like a big list of passwords in, inside of the keychain. You call it app. It's kind of in settings. It's really it's not really as like intuitive as one would hope. Um, but it w- works well if you only have Apple products, like if you like iPhone, MacBook, iPad, I own nothing else. That's, it's a good system. Yeah. Um, it's a good system to, to just share passwords amongst your things securely. But if you have even one PC or your work computer and you want access to those, I, I recommend using a, a, a password management um, Last software. Pass. Yeah, I use LastPass. I've been a fan of them for a while. There's a lot of them out there. Um, there's reputable ones. Don't just don't just go out and search password manager and get whatever's available on the internet or in the app store. Get something that's reputable. It's not really hard to identify what's reputable. Right. There's even websites that you know will show you reviews of most recent um, of the most recent applications that do password storage and their recent breaches and 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 history and you know what's effective and what's not. Um, anyway, personally, I, I I like LastPass. I use it. It's not perfect, but it works well. One of the things that's really nice about LastPass is in the security center, it'll even show you, it'll, it'll bring you a list of all your accounts. So I was just looking at mine before the show and there was like, I don't know, 80 accounts of mine have the same password, but they're, they're like these old, old accounts that I've had forever. And they're things that are mostly like defunct. Yeah. I'm pretty sure bit, not Bitwarden. Um, LastPass will even tell you when you save a password if this it's is reused. Yeah, if it's a reused one, and it will give you the chance to make a new one and change right. it. So uh, all of my old ones, like it, there's one of them um, for an account, like it's called No IP, which is kind of a nerdy thing that I was using for a specific technical function. Noip. And uh, NoIP.com is using the same password as like. Uh, major geeks or something, this other kind of defunct yeah. tech form, and God. neither of them are ones I care about. And and that password that is reused is one that if they gained access to every single one of those accounts, it just really wouldn't hurt me yeah. at all. I don't even use them anymore. Um, I they really could use them to try to get access to, to stuff other else. accounts, yeah. right? So as long as I'm using, if I if I am repeating a password, I should at least be sure that I'm not repeating on anything important. Like for example, my bank login is it's that's a one off, yeah. you know, and and I don't even know that password. It's like 25 digits, random characters. I have no idea what that password is. You know what does help if you truly insist on using the same password everywhere? It's two-factor authentication. Yeah, right. Okay. They can't, they can't get into your phone. Step or... number two. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, this. I should have looked this up before the show, but I don't even know if 23andMe supports MFA I, or, or uh, multi-factor authentication. Um, All the worst offenders don't. Right. Yeah. I would imagine that they do. It seems like it would be intuitive, but... Uh, that is one of the first things that anybody should do when they set up an account for anything, anything personal, anything that you link your credit card to. Really, I mean, I, there are exceptions to like, I really don't care about this account because there's nothing in it that's personal. But even then, it's just, it's like good, it's good practice. All my old accounts, I don't really care about, but anything new, I generate these really complex one-off passwords yep. because I don't even have to know what they are. It goes back to what we were talking about in a recent week about um, pass keys. We'll go over that a little bit more in a minute too. Um, so just to cap off the, the conversation about this 23andMe thing, there's a couple other things I wanted to highlight about this, about it, it being a bigger deal than just a bunch of people's accounts got their information taken. So, um, first off, it's important to remember this wasn't necessarily 23andMe's fault. 
What they could have done to protect their users more is force all of their users to use a form of two-factor authentication, which would have prevented this person from doing it. Um, but they didn't. And that's kind of sad because the type of data that they store is so life-altering if it gets leaked like this that uh, I, I really would like to hold them partially accountable for not forcing their users to use this. But I get why they didn't from a business standpoint. You're isolating a component of your audience by requiring something technical that not everybody understands how to do. Um, so it might turn people off from wanting to use the service, but I think it's, I mean, it's obviously it's in the user's best interest. Um, but some other concerns that come out of this, if it turns out that any genetic data was leaked or or is going to be leaked or was stolen already. <clears throat> There's some pretty scary concerns there. Um, one of them is a biological identity theft, um, replicating a person. And, and this sounds crazy right now because it's not like most people, even hackers and people that have malicious intent, have this lab in their house where they can do these things. But I mean, we got 3d printers. We can make stuff from scratch in a house right now. It's not that far fetched for us to have, um, laboratories that are very advanced in a garage and you can learn how to do most of this stuff online at this point. So maybe not today, but in the future and probably not too distant future, biological identity theft. I think that that's a phrase you'll hear on the news. So wanting to make sure your genetic information is kept private is a pretty big deal. Or uh, plant, planting evidence, <laughs> 3D print somebody's DNA and leave it at the scene of a crime. Right. I mean, um, yeah, that uh, biological blackmail, you know, it, just threatening exactly that. Like, hey, I, I stole your genetic information from this website. I have it and I'm going to leak it. I'm going to do this thing. But yeah, make it look like a component of a crime. Quick given the hacker's ideas. I know. <laughs> stop talking positive. Stop talking with the good ideas for them. Um, the, like, the sad oh, part shit. is that I'm not anywhere near as creative as the stuff I've seen them do. Um, but another one that's a big deal is uh, like CRISPR is coming out. And I, I won't go too far into that, but CRISPR is basically a DNA editing tool. Um, it's got some really great features, really, really cool, promising technology. Like anything else comes with some pretty significant downsides uh, or potential downsides, I should say. And then, uh, you know, thinking, well, if we have somebody's genetic information, <laughs> we have a, a human's genome uh, and, and an individual person's genetic information, and we have this CRISPR tool, I can make isolated viruses that only affect very specific people or groups of people. Um, this has been in movies and it's not necessarily quite science fiction anymore. I mean, the idea of like mass spreading a virus that only affects a specific genetic type, um, you know, it's, it's a kind of terrifying thought. So obviously keeping your genetic data uh, as private as possible is, is to your benefit. Um, and, and of course, I, I think that the last thing is that for anybody who did use 23andMe or will continue to use it, um, technically, they again, they didn't they weren't the cause of this breach. It was people who allowed their accounts to not be secure. Um, so secure your account. Um, Go change your passwords. But yeah, did, did you know, I'm, I'm really curious if the people who did use 23andMe, Ryan and I not, both not being one of them, um, do you remember signing something when you when you signed up? Did you... Did you sign a document that said that they're going to store your genetic data? Did you acknowledge that you could have that deleted in some way? Was there was there anything there um, that kind of even got you thinking uh, this might be a concern? 
I'm, I'm curious. So, you know, email us, uh, rid at radradio.com. I'm really curious to hear if, if, if you guys have any thoughts on that. Um, Elizabeth emails in and said, uh, why can't all web logins require two-part authentication to avoid all this? Well, that is a wonderful question. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, it, it is it is the responsibility of the, the company that is making a service to require MFA. And I think a part of that is going to be how important is this service? Um, like if it gets breached, what happens? So a oh, great example. I mean, the people watching live on rad TV, we don't require an MFA for, for your account. And that's because there's really nothing somebody could do maliciously that tech to you couldn't not only immediately detect, but also prevent from becoming a problem. You're when you, when you sign up for rad TV, we don't even store your card information that's stored with a vendor. That's completely off site, totally different security level. And, um, the, like the automatic renewals, the way all of that works, it's, it's so secure and there's no way from your user standpoint, like if somebody gained access to your account to really do anything with that, it's not like they have access to your card info. Um, they could maybe cancel your account. <laughs> so, you know, secure your password. But it's one of those things where we knew getting into this that there was going to be a large percentage of the audience that would struggle with with multi-factor if we if we required it and that was uh proven i, I probably at some point will kind of do a show about the making of rad tv and what was involved there's a lot that went there it's kind of a cool story but um the amount of emails that we got just from people saying like hey i set up my account but i can't log in and you know we can see what you're doing and it's like well you just you typed in your password and now you're typing in a completely different password. It's, it's so common. I mean, it was like, it was almost like one in 10. Um, it's really common, unfortunately. So like, you know, enabling multi-factor on a site like that is not really all that critical, but if it's a banking website, um, yeah, it should be mandatory. Like there should, it, I, it almost would like be great if just legislation was passed. It says if it, if it's a, an account online that has access to financial data, or can even put your financial data at risk or have any financial impacts on you whatsoever, it's a requirement to have MFA. Just make it, a, make it a standard, you know, for operation. Right. Like, that, that would be that would be great. So um, like, a, like a regulation that you have to follow. Like, oh, you don't, if you want to do mobile banking, you are required to fit these boxes, you know? Yeah, agreed. Uh, I like it. Neil writes in and says, on the subject of 2FA, I know text message codes are the easiest way to an account, or that account can be... Easiest way an account can be covered, I think means by like protection wise, but I've heard that's not secure. Obviously, biometrics on a device are capable, on a device capable are easy to set up if the app offers it. How do you feel about a physical key like a YubiKey? YubiKey is a, uh, like a flash drive. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't know, it's like an actual key that you have to plug into your computer to verify that you are who you are. It's kind of like a replacement for a key for a car. It's a physical item that you carry with you. I love those. I, I'm a really big fan of them. I think for um, certain high security applications, they're very, very good. YubiKeys can be physically stolen. And once they are physically stolen, there's no authentication process of who plugs it into the flash drive. It's part of the reason why I really like biometric passwords as the best form of security today. Um, so like my number one go-to for a high security um, login would be creating a good password. And then let's just say it's my Chase app for, for banking on my phone. Then I'm gonna enable Face ID on my iPhone or, or fingerprint scanning or whatever you have as a way of doing biometric logins. Um, and then on top of that, I'm gonna enable multi-factor 
And what that would basically do is it's not like every time that I scan my fingerprint to log in the Chase app, it's going to also require multi-factor verification in some way. It's going to be like when I log in from a new IP address. So somebody gets your password, they log in from their computer in a different state, different city, country, whatever. It's going to require multi-factor. So that's where something like a YubiKey could be nice. You plug it in, that's your multi-factor, you have it with you. Um, You know, one thing about multi-factor too that people don't think about is... uh you know, eventually they'll, they might click that trust this device or don't ask again on this device. And that device gets stolen because they get fatigued by having to enter that code Yeah, because security comes at the cost of convenience. Yeah. Big time. Um, that's that, that one's tough too. Cause you can even steal session tokens yeah. uh, remotely. So when, when you say trust this device, you're establishing what's called a session token locally on your computer. And that session yep. token can be jacked yep. uh, by a remote hacker. So or even clicking a link to yeah. A, a site trying to get you to, to go somewhere you think it is. So the, depending on the way that somebody designs their session tokens, there can be vulnerabilities there too. Like for example, with, with uh, Rad TV, um, it's a lot harder to steal a session token because we, we tie your IP address that you're logged in with to your session token. So if somebody jacks the session token um, from your computer, they're going to try to log in from a different IP address, presumably, so the session token would be invalid. Um, so there, there's... A, there's <laughs> There's a lot of ways that people can still get around this, and again, why two-factor is so helpful. Um, I think that I think that just going back to my high security, the best way is that you have that that two-factor, but having an authenticator app, and actually Microsoft's version of an authenticator right now is one of the better ones for security. Um, Google Authenticator is great too. It just generates a six-digit code every 30 seconds. And basically what you do is you open up the Google Authenticator app, and after you've typed in your password to your banking website, you uh, say, it says, okay, that's the right password. Now what's your six-digit code? You open your Google Authenticator app, you type in that code. That's a much higher security process because that code is always changing. So it's not like a one-time thing. Somebody could copy very easily. Um, I got another email here. Ian, please do a show on the making of Rad TV. I love behind-the-scenes insight like that. That, that, that. It would really be a lot of fun. We've talked about it. Um, I think we will. Uh, there, it, it's a, it is really a cool story, the things that we did. From a technical perspe- perspective, I think I can keep it entertaining <laughs> um, on the things that we went through and trialed and tested and, and how we came up with a lot of the design. And um, yeah, I'd love to do that at some point. Um, so a couple other topics I wanted to run through today uh, before we run out of time on these things. Um, there's a there's a pretty crazy one that uh, it, it's really just kind of almost as wild as this 23andMe data breach, but in a, in a different way. Uh, Colorado um, recently, a judge in Colorado recently upheld a ruling that allowed um, the police or law enforcement of any kind to basically dragnet Google's search history. So just to give you an example, let's just say that the um, law enforcement is looking for somebody who committed arson, which is actually where this kind of started. They say, I want to know, this is the law enforcement, they're talking to Google and they say, I would like the names and any identity information available for every person who searched how to make napalm in Colorado from this date to this date. And Google has to comply with these things. It's not like they really have a choice. Hey, don't listen to him, Google. What the hell? <laughs> Did I? Oh, yeah, because I said <laughs> I said the keyword. I'm your I'm, master. I'm sorry for everybody's phones who just lit up because I said the keyword. Um so uh, I'm going to run through some bullet points on this real quick. So law enforcement demanded that companies like Google hand over 
the identities of anyone that search for specific information online. Basically, it's it's a, a, a Google dragnet is really what it is. It all started from this arson case. The Colorado DA applauded the judge's ruling, saying that we should uh, be using high-tech methods available to catch criminals. Now, that said, I, I do agree with that concept, which is like we should be using high-tech methods to catch criminals. But this really... <laughs> Gets into the civil liberties concerns as, here. As a, a person who used to regularly search for and download the anarchist cookbook, I hate this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's searches that I've I've had where I'm like, God, if anybody ever saw this, they would think like I'm the worst. Yeah. But my They're search like, bring was this for guy a reason, in, right? Yeah, it's like you know, like how to I'm make a like nuclear bomb. I'm just a curious, nerd. I just like... right. Um, so that the judgment will likely inspire other states to follow suit, which is one of the scarier things about this is that this has basically been upheld in Colorado and it's probably going to affect other states. Set a precedent. Yeah. Um, so the thing that I think is probably, there's a lot to, to, to unpack here, but one of the things I think is immediately one of the scariest is imagine the power of this with AI. So yeah. you have you have the power of knowing what everybody has searched for on Google in a designated period in time. In a snap. Right away. And then you can AI analyze all that data to look for things that you think might be of interest. Trends. Right. Try to, try to have it profile you it, automatically. It feels like a um, minority report. Let's it, give you, let's, this, this, Ian Reader has an 87% chance of being the culprit based on his search history. Bring that guy in. Yeah, and his social media shows he, that he's a bald white guy with a beard. So it's crazy how many pictures of fire he has on his Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right, dude. So um, like very simple AI algorithms along with the ability to basically dragnet Google searches um, uh, expressing a personal opinion here, I feel a little violated on Fourth Amendment rights. <laughs> you know, like this seems a little invasive. Um, yeah. And so I think I, I would imagine most people probably feel the same, which is that like I want I want to be able to search the internet and not be um, not be you know accused accused or even or even being or concerned with crime. Yeah. Right. So uh, that that is the thing that that kind of scares me the most is that we we're, we have some pretty crazy tools and in the wrong hands and it's not like every judge and every law enforcement agent is the best guy you know there's been plenty of corruption we are we are so close to a social credit score right oh god that black mirror episode did you see that that Black Mirror episode where people have like a rating of of like their quality in society. You mean China? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> you mean they recorded what's going on in China right now? Um, it's wild, dude. There's uh, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but basically, um, the concern here is that if you're theoretically right now, whatever you typed in Google in the last you know month, it could be. Scan a court of law. by law. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, you have the right to remain silent. Uh, you, you know, anything right you say, stop do. using your computer. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I hope that they, I hope that they catch this person that they're looking for in Colorado who committed arson. Um, and, 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 and 
obviously that's a bad thing and the person should be held accountable for their actions, but on, on to a very, very small degree, I kind of hope it's fruitless and that it doesn't pay off and that we decide not to push this. And that, that, that they find a better, more effective technique right. that isn't this. It, yeah, this is it just, it's invasive, man. It's scary to think that like all of the things that you do on the internet can be, um, can be just pulled in front of you at, at, in a court one day and you have to answer for Even something. Even if they don't come interrogate you, imagine they're just like, we know this guy's going to do something eventually right eventually that's the minority we're just gonna watch him we're just gonna put a put a car outside his house yeah i know oh god um so now i I, what i'll add to this is that i'm not concerned (laughs) for two reasons one most of my google search history is pretty good but number two i use a vpn wherever i go and so let's talk about that for a second um this actually you know what this lines up really well to an email i got from somebody so i'm gonna uh, just sidetrack for a quick second i got an email from a guy who said um will will in reno emails and he says uh how do you stop these notifications on safari on the iphone to sign into google constantly i've tried to go through the settings on a web browser but it's not working for me for some reason attaches a screenshot from my phone basically what he's doing is he's um opening safari on his iphone he's doing a google search that could be dragnetted by police sure and he's not signed into a google account good for him because yeah. his searches are private basically to a degree i mean his Somewhat. ip address is going to still be linked and, the, and that's traceable especially if it's from a phone on a on a 3g 5g 4g network whatever um so he could still kind of find you but he's not signed in and it's nagging him to sign in and i did a little bit of research before the show and I, sadly it doesn't look like there's an easy way to turn that off but what i did find more success with is on an iphone if you change your browsing to private mode which is kind of the same thing as doing incognito on chrome um it does not nag you anywhere as much uh it looks like it's because chrome has already identified that you've chosen to browse privately so it, it nagged me one time and then i turned it off and it stopped um so that's a, my suggestion for you is to turn that off but to this, to this user's uh, story, um, this person is either presumably doesn't have a Google account and, or just doesn't want to sign into it to have their search history linked to their Google account. And sure. with this thing going on in Colorado, I don't blame them. Have another email address to secure and keep track of. Right. So what I do a lot of the time if I'm on Google is uh, my VPN is pretty much on by default all the time. And it does cause some minor headaches. I'll get into those in a second. But um Let's start with what is a VPN real quick. Just to recap, I've talked about it in prior shows, but a VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. It basically makes it look like you're somewhere you're not. That's kind of the easiest way to say it. So if you go to um, the members.radradio.com, we know what IP address you got there from. This is very basic you know, data that's collected on any, yeah. pretty much any website you go to. Um, we know, so we know who's on our website. Um, if you are using an, a, a VPN, you basically obfuscate that. So it looks like you're in, you're in, um, Europe, you're in wherever you want. In, yeah. Vegas, you're wherever, wherever you want to be. And they can see, you know, you know, this fake IP, you mm-hmm. know, the one that's you're routing to is visiting this website, but then it can't see anything in there. Right. What, what are you doing on the website? Who knows? Maybe I'm just looking. So, and that's where, that's where the, um, privacy from your internet provider becomes a bigger deal too. So like if you're using... Comcast is kind of notoriously bad for this. It's like selling user data on what people search for. So if you're just going online and you search for, you know, quilting supplies or whatever, and then, and then uh, you're, all of your neighbors are doing the same thing, that's good content for Comcast to sell to advertisers. That Joanne's will love that. Joanne's is going to love it, right? Yeah. And, and, and uh, is Bed Bath & Beyond still a thing? I, I think they're switching to online only. Now. Oh, really? Okay. So they maybe they'd like it too. Um, and uh, obviously, I think it would be in anybody's best interest not to have your, your search history 
um, available to advertisers or to hackers or to anybody. Give, give me a cut if yourself. you're going to sell it. Right? Yeah. If you're going to sell it, just give me a cut. piece. Um, Long running Google wallet that with 8% interest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the... Um, the VPN uh, concept is that you you install an application on your computer and it um, hides you in a, in a, in a sense. It, um, so all of your all of your traffic is hidden from your internet provider. It's it's uh, kind of locked away from Google because if you're not signed into your Google account, you're just some anonymous person on the internet doing searches for things. And and what's interesting too is uh, Google will actually when you're using a lot of VPN services, they'll detect that you're using a VPN and you have to check a box confirming you're a human doing these searches because yeah. there's bots that turn on VPNs and do use Google for malicious functions. So um, that's where I was kind of getting in. There's some headaches of using a VPN. Like if you turn on, what was the thing you mentioned uh, just came up with um, Chrome or, or your Android, you have a new feature on your device. Oh that... yeah. Built in VPN on the, the pixel that I have through uh, Google one. So I pay for the extra drive storage, but it comes with an, a VPN that I just, I have always on, on my phone. So I have it when I'm connected to cell coverage, anytime I switch between networks, public or private, I, I always have VPN on automatically. Right. And so that uh, very similar on iPhone, we have, we have a thing called private relay now and you can turn that on same concept. It's just a baked in VPN. But the big deal is that it doesn't log any of it so, the so, best part yes right so there's a lot of questions about like i use a service called pia and there's been some speculation recently about the company that kind of owns them and where that data could be going and ultimately i, I don't know i don't know what they're doing with their servers for sure i i trust that what they're saying online is true but there's other vpn services out there and um, if i was doing something illegal i would really be doing a lot of homework on like what vpn is best what i really care about as an individual is i just don't want my stuff being available to like my my um isp i don't want comcast knowing what i'm searching for or what i'm doing with the internet that they gave me just give me my bandwidth and let me do what, oh, yeah, what I, I, get, want. I get games from places yeah i get games from from my, my friends from there these are all my my ten thousand friends what are you doing on this pirate website <laughs> i was just stop, getting a costume. stop asking questions next week man that's all so um that's that's the VPN thing is where I wanted to just suggest that if this concerns you, this thing in Colorado with police basically being able to dragnet Google searches or any search for that matter, it doesn't have to be Google. You could be a fan of askjeeves.com if that's still alive. Um, the the concerns are pretty real. I, I, I really, I'm, I'm usually somebody who doesn't worry too much about like privacy. I, I don't have, I'm not one of those like super private people. Um, but I'm, this bugs me. <sighs> yeah. the, the idea that like my search history could retroactively be searched. You don't have to do anything wrong to be concerned about it. Right. You don't. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't like not be concerned just because you use the internet like a good boy. You know, this is uh this is a bummer <laughs> that, that got upheld and was applauded by the DA. I get it, they need to do their job and this is a tool that'll help them and I want them to catch criminals, but not at the expense of of of, of our privacy. Yeah. So a VPN, great service to use. Um, criminals, don't listen. Criminals, don't criminals. use don't don't use a VPN. <laughs> but put put on your earmuffs. Um, but for everybody else, VPN services are really, really great. I highly recommend um, that you look into them, utilize features like the private relay on your iPhone. 
or the VPN service baked into Android. And you can kind of see how they work and, and, and what they do. And sometimes you'll end up with speed implications. Like it won't run quite as fast. Depends on the connection that you've got. Um, I but think it's one of the other hassles that people run into the most is having to reauthenticate their accounts, especially with multi-factor because right. it looks like they're coming from a different location or IP. Yeah. Like if you're using, if you're using your computer without the VPN turned on and you sign into an account and then you turn the VPN on, you're going to have to sign in again. Cause yeah. Like, or you forget what location you picked and you get an email saying, did you sign in from Morocco? Yeah. That's like, a, I don't, one. I don't know. I have no idea if I signed in from Morocco. Maybe I was there last week. Um, so, um, I, with the VPN thing, if, if you have questions about it, feel free to email, um, you know, rad at radradio.com. Obviously I'm more than happy to answer emails there. Uh, I recommend, uh, in general that most people try to utilize a VPN service in some way, but now, especially with what's going on in, in Colorado, um, I, I really, really highly recommend VPNs more now than ever. Um, so to try to keep your, try to keep your own, you know, your internet use private. It's, it's, that's your private information and what you're doing there. Um, so last thing I wanted to go over today was, uh, kind of a, an interesting one for our industry, uh, which is that it was recently announced by the FBI. It was last Wednesday. They announced this, that thousands of information technology workers contracting with us companies have for years secretly sent millions of dollars of their wages to North Korea for its use in its ballistic missile program. God. So um, companies hiring IT professionals have inadvertently been funding the nuclear programs of North Korea. That's like, a headline. That's a headline. Imagine um, being alerted to that. As a imagine, <laughs> imagine the FBI calls and goes, I'm looking for John. Yeah. So... <laughs> to tell bad, tell, bad tell me about the wages that you pay to Ian Reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's a sketchy guy. Uh, so um, U.S. companies have been hiring workers deployed from North Korea to China, but mostly to China and Russia, uh, and then tracking, uh, basically tricking Americans into gaining access to their local Internet. Um, I'll explain that in a second. Uh, so far, uh, at least 1.5 million has been caught. So not billions but a big dollar amount 1.5 million dollars in wages have been caught and um, 17 different domain names so these are like fake it companies have been seized by uh, federal authorities but obviously there was a lot going on before then and my guess is that that 1.5 million was seized over a very short period of time so um, just want to give some advice to the hiring professionals out there uh, about hiring interviews. IT people. Yeah, it's tough because uh, COVID changed things so much. Oh, sure. So like even even our development team um, for Circles, we have a couple of developers that are out of state, but we've met them in person. They, you know, we've sat down with these people. We also do federal background checks, you know, they're and they're very involved. Um, so when it comes to hiring somebody, an IT professional especially, um, it's very easy to be fooled because what they did was uh, they not only would be coming from a, a public a public IP address, like when they would do their interviews or sign up for any applications for, for getting employed with this business, they would not only be coming from a, a US IP address, it would be a real one, not a VPN. Yeah. Because what their first step was, in, in some cases, they would pull a quick scam on an unsuspecting victim gain access to their home network, which is not hard. I've talked about in other shows how they do this kind of thing. 
And, and then they basically just integrate VPN access on that person's router at their house. Yep. So now all of their internet traffic is routing through this unsuspecting grandma who lives in, you know, middle of nowhere in, in, in and she would have no way of Kansas, knowing. right? Yeah. yeah. And she has no clue that all this traffic routing is being done maliciously. She thought she got a free warranty on her Microsoft products when in reality, this was a hacker who gained access to her network and is using it for incredibly malicious content. Content, um, or malicious purposes. And so uh, when you're hiring, um, I would hope that this is obvious, but in, in like the, in the US, you're required to get an I-9 from people who are an employee of yours. Um, in California, we've restricted the ability to contract people very much. So it kind of forces you to employ people as a W-2 employee. And I highly recommend you put them through an actual background check. Identity theft can make this more difficult, but we have uh, never hired a technician for our company that we didn't meet in person and do a, a thorough background check on. And um, it wasn't because and we were worried about IT professionals. What do you What do you know? We've never sent a dime to North Korea <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. ballistic missile testing. It, it's not like I was uh, consciously <laughs> not hiring these people that would be potentially funding North Korean missile programs. But I do know that it is very easy to fool a potential employer, especially one who's not very technical, in um, you being local in the U.S. So, so again, because of COVID changing things and allowing people to work from home, it made it a lot easier for people to get away with this kind of thing because the desire of getting somebody to work from home um, has has increased and you know what might make it easier for them to to be tricked is automating the process too yeah like the onboarding process yeah 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 it, that's true yeah so I mean it, it's that's another one of those things where convenience creates you know security concerns so if you have your IT guy at your company who um, who you suspect might be an agent of North Korea. <laughs> Please don't discriminate. Um, but if you didn't bring somebody in with a thorough background check, you maybe had go background check. Better, maybe, maybe start a new that. policy yeah. and get them checked. Yeah. Maybe um, I, I've checked everybody here, but it wouldn't hurt to maybe go a little farther. Maybe we'll do like, I could do like weekly cavity searches. You want a blood sample? <laughs> yeah, so I'll send it over to 23andMe for an analysis first. All right, guys. Uh, thank you guys so much. I appreciate uh, all of you guys staying on for the show today. And uh, <laughs> next week is Halloween. So um, we were thinking like w we would uh, do some Halloween-y stuff. Tech to booze day. Yeah, maybe we'll just get really drunk. You know, boo, booze day. Is that what we'll do? We'll just have a drunk show. Um, and uh, and so I, I have some topics that are a little Halloween-related topics, I think. Um, looking forward to next week. I hope you guys have a great one, and we will see you all next Tuesday. Uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs>